Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. Once again, it is time for us to have a guest on to talk us through their Dream 15. If you've not listened to one of these before, it's really, really simple. Each week, either Dan or I are joined by a special guest, and they talk us through a fantasy side that they would love to see. So the 15 players who they would love to see play together based on whatever they want. The players who have brought them the most joy over the years, uh, an old nemesis who you might like to see playing on your side for once, and uh, yeah, we've got a real treat in store for you with this episode. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who the guest is. All I will say is it's a regular contributor. Once you get into the actual part of the podcast, you'll be able to uh, to figure out who it is fairly early on. But uh, yeah, there's a, a, a little clue for you in the intro. So make sure you, uh, yeah, you, uh, you're listening intently at that point. And uh, yeah, all that remains to say is another big thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to support a young, young, flourishing Welsh business, then make sure you do that by going to socoffeetrades.co.uk and uh, you won't be disappointed with the coffee either. Thanks for listening and really hope you enjoy it. Good boy. Burgess. Oh, interception by Cornell. Here's Dawes. This is John Bevan. Williams can't get him. So strong, this fellow. What a throw! Welcome to another edition of Dream 15 by the Attacking Scrum. Hope you've been enjoying these. Uh, if you have, Please leave us a review uh, on iTunes or however you get your podcasts. We really appreciate that. Uh, but I had a message this week, and in amongst all the madness that's going on right now, it was a message that really uh, that really cheered me up. Now, so before I introduce our guest for this episode, I'll read the, the message to you and see if you can guess who it is. Just to let you know, I compiled my Dream 15 between online tutorials. <laughs> your pod comments have prompted me to go deep into the history books, picking a team spanning the mid-70s and mid-80s, 
basically a mix of bit part players during the 70s golden era and those who were crushed by the weight of expectation in the years that followed. Tried to temper my obvious, this should give it away, tried to temper my obvious Swansea RFC bias, partially successful. A pack that would lay waste to the opposition with their sheer brutality and a set of backs to glide around the opposition with poetic grace. So I'm sure regular listeners will have figured out uh, who this evening's guest is. Uh, but if you haven't, it's our good friend, Yestin George. Yestin, that genuinely made my week. Best best communication I've had all week. I'm, a, I'm very glad. Uh, it, it was, um, it's, it's been a brilliant, um, it's just been brilliant. Uh, from a memory bank's point of view, because a lot of it actually, there, there are a few players there that you that on my on my sort of certainly on the wider list that just you can't find anything out about them on online even, and there are people who've who've been on lines to us and have scored tries for Wales that you look on YouTube, you go, oh, you can't find it. So um, so a lot of this is going to be uh, made up from romantic vision and i have to apologize for the because i in all honesty the sort of uh, 79 to 81 swansea rfc team were my heroes all-time sporting heroes because i just used to go home and away you know we used to go to we used to joy we used to enjoy saying abatillery just for a laugh uh, instead of abatillery just to annoy people and we used to get we used to go to Pontypool on a on a obviously on a miserable Wednesday night and get beaten up badly and and it, you know and uh, the fact that we had we played in an all white kit and it was a beautiful Adidas stripes and used to get mocked roundly as the big city slickers and which is just seems extraordinary looking back on it and uh, and and a lot of those memories just come flooding back. So totally, I've really enjoyed it. Well, if I'm honest, when we created this series, I had you in mind because I thought this would walk down memory lane would be something that you'd really enjoy doing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's th- there are players that that some people will know, and there are players that people won't know. And um, I. I it's a lot of it just is is anecdotal rather than and i have had to rely on wales online for some of the stuff because i just i just remember those players are scaring me the ones that i picked i have gone for a a uh a, a well an entirely welsh team apart from one notable uh notable non-welsh player uh so they are so the, yeah we'll just we'll see how it goes Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing it, and uh, I, I said because I always start the, these pods by asking, kind of, you know, how difficult did you find it? Were there lots of positions where there were people jockeying to get in the team, or did you have almost a 15 fully formed? Um, well, I, as I started with uh, practically the, a 15 from Swansea, it was more to do with the case of who could I, who could I. Uh, throw out like Clive Williams who played loose head prop or Jeff Herdman who played hooker or uh, yeah. So it was a case of finding other players from other clubs who just used to, just used to be, you know, scare us basically and used to give us a hard time. And there was, there were certain players that always used to really play well against, um, against Swansea as well. So 
it it was it was tough because of just because of my terrible uh, romantic bias, really. Well, that's good. That's exactly uh, that's the yeah, that's the main reason we get you on this podcast is for the the hopeless romanticness. And you're talking to a man here who picked out of all of the fly halves I've ever seen in the world. I picked Matthew Morgan at ten for mine. So uh, and I, I literally and I would cheered. do it again. I cheered when I heard that. <laughs> I would do it. I'd pick him at ten and fifteen if I could. Um, well, this, well, we'll crack onto the team in a moment. There's just one other point that I wanted to, to jump on there because what you said I think is really important is, you know, like in this day and age, we have a wealth of YouTube footage and, you know, before that sky and we're just exposed to so much rugby and so much sport now. But what I love is that those previous eras, you rely on myth and the, the tales that reverberate around the terraces. And in a way, that you know, it's that that's kind of what I'm I'm hoping is this is this team you're selecting is going to be a cross between 24 hour party people and uh, uh and the uh I don't know if you ever read the the Robin Friday book the greatest footballer that yeah you absolutely yeah. I mean, again it's you know it could all be made up he might not even be real if uh, for you know for for all, for all I know I know Cardiff City fans would tell me differently but it's just how amazing that that, that myth that flies around people so I'm hoping there's a fair degree of that in this scene yeah and it, and it isn't also it's worth noting I think two things on this they're not all and I I I feel guilty about saying this, but they're not all sort of brill-creamed boys from Cardiff grammar schools who, uh, who we you know might have been mercurial talents, but we literally can't see anything at all about them. You know, you get they all look the same, they all sound you know, they all came from similar backgrounds. And the other thing is when when you look at um, if you were compiling, let's say, an English team, they all went to like a handful of 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 um premier uh private schools uh you know and still to this day that's how the, the english system works and that's one of the things that i really loved about this was that you do have farmers and you do have people who um you know who worked in in the steel industry in the coal industry you had people who at the same time you had people who who were sort of never really uh, amateur at all but there's a mixture there that is just far more colourful than this idea of kind of going to sort of Oxford educated blues, etc. There's quite a few people who went on Lions tours. You know, a real significant number of this team toured with the Lions, and it doesn't seem possible, really, uh, considering the fact that they're not household names by any by any means well let's let's get stuck into it and i you know i think we've had a we've had a wonderful preamble without even mentioning any players names so talk me through this terrifying pack of monsters and, and let's start with that number one jersey i'm going to start with the player that did strike fear into my heart and i think pontypool were they weren't uh swansea's nemesis by any means but they were just you were prepared to get beaten up badly. It was every time you you played them, particularly when you played them um, played them away. And um, it, th- this was a player that played in in kind of like the early eighties. But Staff Jones, uh, who's part of uh, kind of Graham Price was still playing, mm-hmm. um, and Steve Jones played hooker. So it was Staff Jones who. 
um, it's just shaven headed, played, you know, 10 times for Wales, uh, played, went on tour with the Lions in 1983, was uh, from Anissa Bull. They said that, again, this is my sort of looking at Wales Online for research, which obviously is, you know, anybody who goes down in history, really primarily not for his playing prowess, but the number one thing they wrote about was the fact that he once ate 27 roast potatoes after a match. Um, and that he that he used to that he once walked to training, which is about eighteen miles by road. But I assume he went cross country, which is probably about you know over the top, as it were. So probably about ten miles. But he was brutal and hard. And that pack, it wasn't just the 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 pack that moved from you know Bobby Windsor, Charlie Faulkner, Graham Price into the sort of Eddie, Eddie Butler always strikes me as just the most incongruous player ever to play for Pontypool. Uh, but that pack just carried on being as scary. And uh, they would, and that's the one thing, you know, Swansea never had. They didn't do scary very, very well. And so every time, um, any, every time a Ray Prosser coached team, um, played Swansea, whether Swansea would emerge victorious because they had better backs or because they, it was always, they would always end up getting beaten up at some point. I mean, that, that there's so much to get into here. Just before we talk more about Staff Jones, I've got to, uh, I've got to drop in something about Eddie Butler there, which again, I don't know if this mixes really nicely with the, the thought of believe the myth over the legend, but I remember someone telling me that Butler stood up to speak at a, uh, um, a, you know, classic after dinner rugby club type thing and started talking about that Pontypool pack. And he said, of course, you know, I was fortunate to play at number eight in that pack and, and they made me look very good. And I can't remember which club it is, but it's so, you know, it would have been, it would have been somewhere in Gwent and someone just shouted out, mother Teresa could have played behind that pack. And I, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but I, I, I love to think it is because like you say, it does feel slightly incongruous uh, having Butler in there, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I've got, I've got fondness for Eddie Butler, partly because I nearly killed him about six years ago. I was um, driving, I was doing weirdly doing this. I was doing a film for Visit Wales about the, about the, about tiny ch- ancient chapels of the, of Monmouthshire. And I was just, we were herring down the road and uh, to go to uh, like Patricia, it's like an ancient 12th century uh, chapel and um, nearly took out a a cyclist who was wearing like a, in Lycra with a Welsh dragon on it. And it was only just, just as we were just missing him and heard him, well, not heard him, saw the words and you know, so the words of of uh, horror coming out of his mouth. That um, I realised that it was Eddie Butler. We could have finished him right there and then, which would have been a terrible shame. But um, Staff Jones is is on my shortlist, but he's not the number one. The number Go one, on. the number one is Brian Williams from Neath, yeah. um, who was again around you know around in the sort of late, a little bit past the early nineties, sort of. Um, uh, mid 90s Pembrokeshire farmer so taking sort of Ben Ben last 
last time round was talking uh, more more your kind of uh, mid Wales farmers really, mm. but this was um, he. He, bonus, um, bonus points for farmers of any uh, of any background. I just think it makes it makes for a good pack. Yeah, and just they they just said Swansea had the odd um, uh, Mark Keyworth was a farmer who was an Englishman who played uh, for Swansea, but um, they Brian Williams was, they just all say oh he was the strongest player that ever was and he was six foot one and he was fourteen stone and he propped. You know, he only played five times for Wales, and um, but and then he and he had his he, he nearly lost his wrist, kind of with an angle grinder, nearly cut his hand off, um, and then still came back to play after that, which is obviously quite hard. Um, and there was some story about him wrestling bulls as well on tour, and then but anybody, you, if you start your if you start at number one with the man that delivered the punch from hell, yeah. um, as it's famously called on um, Stuart Roy from Cardiff. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's pretty, you know, there was a game, that game between Neath and Cardiff, there were like four players left the field in the first half an hour. And, and Andy, Andy Booth, who I'd actually trained with when I was playing as a, he was a, as, he was a year younger than me, um, you know, went off with I think fifteen stitches in it, and he had a he had an exam the next day. And Alex Evans, the coach, drove him up to to yeah. So all of this kind of stuff. But anyway, all very mythical. But Brian Williams is 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 just the player that they always say was it's just the hardest player, and yeah. should have had a little more caps. Yeah, I mean it's it's astonishing, and, and like you say, I think that loose head position to be six foot one kind of in that era was a little bit ahead of his ahead of yeah. his time as well. And, and yeah, that, that kind of absolute brute strength, I think it's safe to say you, uh, you've not let us down when you said it's going to be a pack of absolute bruisers who, uh, who was on the shortlist to, uh, to hook alongside him. Well, Kevin Phillips is on the shortlist. So his teammate um, from Neath who, you know, uh, is, he looked feral as a player you know, he looked slightly mad. Another, you know, Carmarthenshire farmer would turn up two weeks before the start of a new season because, you know, he'd get a free pass because during the summer they were busy on the farm. Still, still run the legs off everybody else in pre-season training. You know, captain the team that averaged 42 points a game in 88-89. Played 20 times for Wales. You know, imagine 42 points average. That's nice, game. isn't it? Um, and if you see him now, obviously Ivan, his son, was, you know, is mm. knocking about with the Ospreys. But um, so he looked like, like I say, he looked like a wild man. And even when he was celebrating, you know, when they won, when they'd win um, the cup, you know, he always looked like angry and happy at the same time. He'd sort of mastered the art of both. Just looked really um, slightly psychotic. But if you, he's actually kind of like. Off the field now, he looks really quite smooth. He looks like a mod. He's got like a real sharp look about him. He's like none of the. He's not a farmer anymore, first, but he looks really dapper. So I'm kind of like going, you know, there was something to, something more to Kevin Phillips than this wild man of Carmarthenshire image that he that he obviously cultivated massively when he was captain of Neath. 
And what are the uh, what are the names made the shortlist? Um, well, the, the, who I've picked. I mean, there were there were several uh, names, but uh, um, uh, I've picked um, Mike Spike E. Watkins. Oh wow! Now there's so, a pick. Yeah, you know, straight into the team in 1984, having been unofficially banned for years before for being, it's, I love this phrase, and I and I, I I haven't dug too deep because I haven't read his book or anything, but, but you should, um, by the way, it's um it, it's it was recommended to me after we recorded the uh, we recorded a couple of pods with with Phil Steele and um and David Bishop. Yeah. I recorded them on the same day and one of the guys from St David's Press said you have to read uh, Spikey Watkins especially you know with uh, uh, you know with, with my family being Newport fans as well. Yeah. And uh uh yeah it, it it's gut-wrenchingly hard to read actually at points. It really is. is. It? Really? It's is uh yeah I'm you know, he's, uh, he had a, a very, very tough relationship with his father, who, you know, was a very hard, domineering guy, and he basically only found out how proud, uh, how proud a father he was after uh, after he died. And um, oh. he's uh, he's had a yeah, he's a, he's he's a very interesting character, Spikey Watkins, to say what is the it, least. What is it about hookers having difficult difficult? Oh, but. Um, so yeah, because I because they always refer to an in he was banned after being charged with being drunk and disorderly on an infamous hookers night out. I was like, <laughs> what's an infamous hookers night out? Do you know what I mean? What does that mean? You, I, you I can, just, yeah, you I, can I mean, I can, vaguely imagine it. Yeah, I can vaguely imagine it. Yeah, definitely. But um, you know, four caps, all as captain. First cap, first I think first cap, first. He's the first person to win his first game as captain um, for like, you know, for a century almost. It was just, it was re- really remarkable. And I, I do remember him coming into that team and bringing a, like a quiet authority, not quiet authority, a vol- voluble sort of just pulling it all together. And, it, you know, he seemed like... Um, he had a galvanizing influence on the, on a team. Obviously, they didn't win all the games, but just but he just there's another couple of players I can mention in that in that context that you just kind of I think there was a there was a period during that time where you really needed personalities to to make to pull everyone together, and I suppose in a way you could say that Alfie might have been the last of that generation. You know that one player who was going to go okay, not just lead by being a player, but actually by by just leading everyone around them. You know, and that was his. That was he was he was. It wasn't so much that he was hard, which he clearly was, mm-hmm. but. It was that also he had a real galvanizing influence on the forwards around him. A superb choice. And uh, moving on to tight head. I mean, I mean, that is a this is this is a mean looking front row. I can only think what kind of cutthroats you've got for us at tight head. Well, I've gone a bit. I've gone a bit left field here because so on my short list, um, Mark Edwards, who used to play number eight for Cardiff, um, is somebody I I kind of know through friends, and he said that Ian Eidman was the best best tight head around during that era, um, and he won thirteen caps, and he was very low key, as all great threes are, really, just ridiculously low key, great scrummager, 
you know didn't really worry about anything else too much but um was tremendously uh you know just really effective um and then i loved Stuart evans as well who you know played for swansea played for neath and he only had nine caps for wales but he was just such a unit he was just massive um but i've gone for a really this is you're gonna have to go with my this is the point at which my swansea bias comes into play uh, a man called byron mugford um he byron mugford was basically a permanent reserve for swansea during the period of sort of late 80s early 90s when they were they arguably were the best team in britain at the time um and he was about six foot two or possibly three he was huge he was not in great shape um and he had long hair and he had mustache and he looked like he just he looked like a sort of mexican bandito gone to seed basically um and he ended up being club secretary president uh and after he stopped playing he was the He's even he even in even I'm sure even as a player he used to come on with the magic sponge. You wouldn't want to be magic sponge by Byron Mugford. I also just loved his name. And that I, is um, amazing, actually, isn't it? It's almost like um, I don't know whether it's whether it's Mills and Boone or whether it's uh, you know it's some kind of uh, yeah some some kind of dandy from an F. Scott Fitzgerald novel. I don't know. It's just a it's an amazing name that you wouldn't put in a, a number three shirt or a number whatever the reserve shirt was in Swansea in the late eighties. Yeah. And he, he played, um, he used to, he used to play second row occasionally as well when they were short. And he's, you know, he was, like I say, he was just not in great shape, but he gave everything to the club. And, um, I used to, used to be, well, um, uh, Dave, uh, David Parry Jones, uh, was, the commentator around the time and um he uh my mother was his partner so they were together for like decades and um and david just he's just used to use byron mugford to tease me with all the time when i was a te- when i was a teenager like if you've got he used to just laugh he used to say the words byron mugford and then just laugh and i always waited for him to do it actually in commentary because it was just sort of <laughs> slightly ludicrous but Byron Mugford was, if ever there was, like a one club, wholehearted, totally committed man, um, it was Byron Mugford, and um, so he is. And I tell you what, you wouldn't shift him in a scrum, that's for sure. He was, probably wasn't the greatest scrummager, but you were definitely not moving him. So he's uh, my number three. That's an amazing. That's an amazing front row. Let's uh, let's move on to the uh, to the boiler room. Okay, so I've got a few options here and I will try and rattle through them. One is, uh, again, going back to Pontypool and John Perkins, who did play, you know, 18 times for, for Wales. And, um, and it, the biggest thing about John Perkins, you could not have a conversation about John Perkins without everybody saying, do you reckon he's six foot? And it would always be, that was the way that you would say that really loud in, uh, on the terraces, uh, just to wind up uh, Pontypool fans, because it, you know he was. I think he was officially thought of as six foot one, 
Um, but he managed to play in the second row on an international level. And I, we really, we always just used to say he's five foot eleven, isn't he? He's never six foot. So that was that was John Perkins. But he was a really, he was just again never took a step backwards. Uh, you know, you know, never let anybody down. The the next player was is even more bizarre in that he only he gets a pick as um through by dint of being um of his mum weirdly um and billy mainwaring which i love the fact that we call we call called him mainwaring rather than mannering he would never have been called mainwaring if you'd have been brought up in surrey um <laughs> billy mainwaring's mum mrs mainwaring as we all knew her but uh, Evelyn is her name. Mrs. Mainwaring used to used to be, get reserved like seats in the stand uh, every time, and she would just scream. Um, she they, Billy Mainwaring played for Aberavon with distinction for many many years, and Mrs. Mainwaring would just scream his name and Aberavon um, like loud and and used to get sort of rounds of applause she was like the most famous supporter that i can think of from any club in south wales there was no other single supporter there was no like character from cardiff or from ebu vale or anything like that there was nobody mrs mainwaring was the fan she was like the super fan but she was billy mainwaring super fan and it was just brilliant every time she had this shrill scream. It was nothing more than that. And every time you played them, you'd hear Mrs. Mainwaring throughout the whole game, just shrill screams. And it was just brilliant. It's fantastic. Um, and then after that, um, obviously, you know, the Swansea-Llanelli rivalry was something. I went to school in Estelavera, which is further up the Swansea Valley, but you know, there were people from Ponte de Lice and other such foreign places on the other side of the Lachar Estuary who went to who went to school to Slavera as well. It was the only Welsh language school in the county at the time, and um, and so it was terrible. You know, that that game was just you know the Neath game, whatever you know, but the Llanelli game was just it was just if you if you lost that game, you were dead for a week. You know, in school. And Phil May was a nemesis for for Swansea fans, but he was he was amazing. Five hundred appearances for Llanelli, you know, didn't had his debut in eighty eight. He was already thirty two years old. He looked at least fifteen years older than that. <laughs> Seven caps for Wales, and again, he was one of those players that just came in and looked like he brought like a sense of calm and assurance to a team that was kind of just didn't know what its identity was, didn't feel confident in itself. You know, if you watch the rugby around that time, it just looks so harem scarum. It looks so chaotic. And Phil May just brought a little bit of kind of like calm. And he was a brilliant, brilliant player and, um, and used to break our hearts on a regular basis. Um, but he's not my pick, and my pick goes back to Swansea, and there's only one player. He's my hero, my rugby-playing hero. I, you know, just I don't know why, but he, he was my hero, at Jeff Wheel. Um, from a rugby point of view, you used to go and see players. You used to see, you used to see a mall form. 
and he used to just go, all right, that's our ball. And you'd see like, like 15 players almost be lifted up and down like somebody like like it was like a scene from Jaws you know when a shark eats you know they're like literally just playing with the you know they're they're ripping the the rest apart and Jeff Wheel would emerge with the ball in his hand every time he was an amazing player um skippered the team um uh, you know he's you know he had played 32 times um had had this thing Saint Vitus dance, which it was like a recurring, like a, a recurring jutting out chin. His head would his head would kind of go back, um, would like flick back involuntarily. People thought he was a bit of a psychopath, but he wasn't at all. It was his second row partner um, uh, Barry Clegg who used to put on the dirty sort of sly punches and all that kind of stuff. And Jeff Wheel was actually quite an honest player. But um, and then he played organ. He still he plays organ in the local church, and he you know he ran a tuck shop for the boys' brigade. You know, it's like he's just an amazing it's, player. It's the perfect um, the perfect counterbalance to all the aggression that you show on the pitch to be that yeah. kind of uh, that that gentle figure playing the you know with organ organist fingers and uh, and, yeah, uh, and running mad. the tuck shop. But he played, uh, he was part of that second row, you know, him and Alan Martin were the second row during the golden era. So I am cheating rather, but he was my favourite player. And I remember um, Alan Meredith, who was this classy centre in a kind of John Dawes mould. He um, he got me a, a, Jeff, Wheel, a Jeff Wheel shirt um, that somebody had rucked jeff wheel out of the game and literally had a had a tear from the collar down to the bottom of the shirt on the back and um and i sewed it up i got it sewed up and i wore it whenever we played whenever i went to the internationals i would wear my jeff wheel shirt and um i don't have it anymore which is just so gutting but it was obviously that was the era before replica shirts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I was just nothing. I don't think I've ever been prouder of having an article of clothing than Jeff Wheel's own shirt. So, so Jeff Wheel quite rightly in the in the second row. And um, was that with Billy Mainwaring? No, no. I'm right, going. Okay. I've got. So I've got uh, my other second row pick would be. Um, I've. I, you know, I, I really had a soft spot for. Andy Allen, who I thought was a really good player. Um, Robert Norster was a fantastic um, sort of re seemed to rewrite the rule book in terms of actually, you know, winning <laughs> winning us the ball consistently in the lineouts, thirty four caps, you know, toured of the toured of the Lions. But I'm going to go back to your uh, to the Newport stalwarts, um, uh, David Waters. Who oh, I remember yes. used to who used to murder us on Maybe. a regular basis. Absolutely, yeah. What a brilliant! I mean, to be called Muddy as well. It's like, why is he called Muddy? And you know, it was only after that I realised he was, you know, to have a nickname after a blues player. <laughs> I mean, that is class. It's like, right? it's, it's like it, it would be like calling Barry John BB. I know it's just brilliant. <laughs> no, I, I, no, you're, you're absolutely, you know, obviously, so, you know, so some of the names you mentioned uh, have been fantastic, and the stories that go with them, because I, you know, I 
there, there were players in there who, you know, I, I would vaguely have recognised the name, and I'm something of an anorak. But yeah, muddy waters. Are, again, I remember those formative rugby memories that I got in kind of the early mid nineties of going to Rodney Parade for the first time and only really having interest in, in the backs and, you know, watching Gareth Reese kick and stuff like that and being educated by older people saying you need to watch muddy waters and the way he's playing the game. And then yeah, in the yeah. clubhouse afterwards, it was like, you need to go and get muddy waters autograph. He's the one that you need to, that you need to go. Up. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, it's, it's those memories of, how you you kind of educate yourself in rugby that it's not just all about scoring tries and and kicking points and uh, and yeah he's he's part of that from mine which shows the the span of his career as well. Oh my God, it's 1974 to 1996. That's, that's his. Mad. That's played for Newport for 22 years. 700, you know, over 700 appearances. It's just it's. That's just beyond belief, isn't it? Absolutely ridiculous. And I remember him as having really, like, long hair and being kind of almost like looks looked a bit sort of like, uh, obviously, I was into, like, indie music and stuff like that. Not that, you know, I'm suggesting <laughs> that David Waters was, but he didn't look like, a regular rugby player. If you look at the pictures online, he looks very much like the model, you know, moustache occasionally and stuff like that. He looked like your standard rugby player at the time, but he didn't strike me as that kind of player. There was something of the Andy Ripley about mm -hmm. him in terms of the way that he just looked slightly different. And, um, you know, four caps for Wales, which is fair enough, you know, but just, you know, and any player sent off twice in nine days on a club tour in South Africa, he's not he's not going down without a fight, is he? He's obviously just going, okay, I can give as good as I get. But he 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 was he used to regularly just um, he used to just he was just such a pain. You know, there there were several Newport players that would just regularly be pains for you know. But he was the guy that always led and always just. He used to steal Swansea ball all day long. He was a brilliant player. Good stuff. Like that a lot. Right. Let's uh, let's move on to the back row. What are we looking at here? Just um, have you you know the, the modern parlance is all about balance in the back row. Is that something that's come into your selection, or have you just picked uh, some more characters? No, I've gone for yeah. No, I've I genuinely gone for um, a balance. I do. You know, I like the. Um, I like the kind of um, silent, quiet uh, six. You know, the the six that doesn't get noticed very much. Um, six. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to. I think hat tip really to Mike Ruddock, who was mm. just such a brilliant dynamic player, and and came to Swansea um, from Cross Keys and had an ax the, the, the how i know it is that he this is again <laughs> lack of research on my part but that he was i think did he work for bt or something or that he fell off a um he he fell off a, a um it was a ladder a or something a pole oh he was, right he was bigger than that, a, yeah yeah and and injured his injured his back but my god he was such a dynamic player and he was a great he had great hands but and he was 
as you can imagine from the look of his son, he he was a unit as well, but he had a lower sense, lower center of gravity. He was shorter, but he was really, really dynamic. But my, you know, and I, I just think it's worthwhile recognizing that he was a cracking player who could have been a great international, but, you know, was, mm. but for injury, but my, but um, the player that I, again, used to just, oh God, here he is, Clive Burgess um, from Everville, the claw, you know, didn't didn't start playing at rugby until he left the Merchant Navy. It's like, all right, if you're not a farmer, you're in the Merchant Navy. Okay. You know, that that's the next sort of, you know, he was amazing and, and invisible and just Wales Player of the Year in 1981, just really just so effective just just did all master of the the back row dark arts because people don't think that the the dark arts occur in those areas but they used to anyway you know and Clive Burgess was the ball would if Clive Burgess was tackling you suddenly there was a turnover you know it would just always happen it's, as as much as this uh, this is a, a fantastic team taking shape here, there's some amazing nicknames in a pack. You want a pack with nicknames like Spiky, the Claw, and Muddy into the mix as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it's doing a great job on that front as well. Uh, who have you got alongside Clive Burgess? Okay, so at um, at seven, um, I really I really liked uh, Richie Collins, who was. Um, who was again? It feels like he was a little bit ahead of his time. He he had great hands. He was quite athletic. He was quite big. His looks so didn't look ahead of the time. You like to be a player oh, yeah. again. I remember at the end of his career to be a balding player with hair round the side and the moustache. Yeah, and, uh, and just thinking, who is this guy? Um, but you're you're absolutely right. He was about another basketball player, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he loved for Wales. Yeah, and he looked like a basketball player. That's why he had great hands, and he always used to. He was one of the few players that used to play almost like he used to play the ball almost at at chest at shoulder level or even at head level. You know, there weren't many players who would, you know, that everybody would be passing from the from the waist. And Richie Collins wasn't afraid of kind of offloading in those ways. Obviously, 28 caps for Wales. So, you know, he he and and he was from Ely. So he was a heart. You know, um, and it says he's only six foot one, which is hard to believe. I would have thought he was more like six foot three because he did seem taller than the. But then I guess a lot of the other back row players would have been, you know, they might not have been above five foot ten. Some of them. If, you know? if John Perkins was six foot one, then Richie Collins must be six foot three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he was a really, you know, he was a, he was a he, he kept the he again one of those players that kept the ball moving and that's something that when you've got the backs that have chosen you need somebody in the team who's going to just keep that ball moving from the back row onwards because the rest of them aren't really interested to be honest Kai Burgess ain't going to be offloading very you know too soon so you don't need we haven't got any ball playing Fijians holding the ball in one hand and checking it over their shoulders so Richie Collins is the guy that that would do that. Um, yeah. And am I wrong in thinking, I can't remember if I'm making this up or not, but was his club team South Wales police as well? Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. a policeman all through his yeah. career. Um, but 
I, uh, he's not actually made the. He's, he's oh, I'm not disappointed the by that. I know, I know. Uh, I, I could be persuaded, actually. I've, now that I've talked him up, um, I, I've got a soft, uh, real soft spot again for uh, Mark Davis, who is obviously been a physio at WIU since mm. God knows when. He's like must be the longest serving. And am I right in thinking his nickname is Carcass? <laughs> I didn't know that. Is it really? There is something in the back of my mind, and I'm I'm Googling this as we speak. Uh, I don't think you want to look for Mark Carcass Davis without coming up with some terrible stories about murder in the (laughs) murders in the valley. His his nickname is Carcass. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, while we're sticking with that theme of uh, of great nicknames, it's it's hard to, uh, and again, uh, picking out. there's an old Wales online article about uh, about nicknames. You know why is oh, that James okay. known as Bomb and John Fox Davis and all this stuff. But um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, that's that's what brought it up. So I'm guessing uh, I'm guessing that's what it is. That's but, fantastic. Uh, and that music you can hear then, which I'm not going to be able to edit out. Um, yeah. You could hear it. Is obviously a really annoying video playing without me asking it to on the Wales Online website. So. Oh, it's surprising. They never do that normally. No, I know. It must be a glitch in the system. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he was to, to have a physio called Carcass is not a good, it's not a good thing. <laughs> is it really generally? If but you, the, if theme, you had it, the theme of this team, I think that might just be the casting vote. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it might be, mightn't it? But uh, and I don't know what Chris Hewish, but I had actually chosen the Chris Hewish, yeah. Chris who was again, you know, just he was one of those sevens that. Why are you standing next to the outside half already? Why are you smashing into our? Oh, what? How come? You know, he just seemed to be one of those destructive sevens who just seem to be, have an ability to just always be in the face of the, the 10 and 12. He was just amazing. Uh, just such a great, um, great destructive seven uh, in the way that I guess, you know, I t- talking about Richie Collins as a constructive seven, as somebody who's distribu- distributed, Mark Davis was, you know, was more of a, a tackling seven and somebody, but Chris Hewish was just in your face all day long. Um, so, uh, and I, anybody who ended up, ended up, you know, again, with a, with a, uh, an, uh, with a note of um, reference to uh, Wales online that they said that he was, his, he was he ended up working as a refuse collector on Bondi Beach, which is just a bonkers thing that that you imagine. And he never got a cap, did he? So no, he um, didn't. Yeah. And again, I, I know I know a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, if this is all about folklore, which is another theme running through this team, then I, I think Chris Hewish is uh, is someone who'd be right at the heart of that. Yeah, but I think I'm going to go. I think you're right. I think I'm going to go Richie Collins. I talked myself into it because I think the. The idea of somebody having to connect between the pack who are too busy beating stuff, beating people up. Um, somebody's got to do, got to look up and give it to the girls in the, in you know, in in, in the backs kind of thing. That's that. I think that Richie Collins is the ideal candidate for that. Great shout. Right. What about uh, what about number eight? Uh, okay. So uh, this is yeah. This is quite difficult because. Um, Mervyn Davis was my favourite player obviously again going back to from my favourite eight and I was there when 
I was in attendance when he had his brain hemorrhage and it just always strikes me as one of those weird moments where um, I remember it vividly. But um, I ca- I'm not going to pick him because obviously he's decorated and, and you know, and thought of, uh, fun, you know, he's there anyway as one of the greats of all time. Um, Phil Davis, I think, you know, he won a lot of caps, 46 caps, and obviously you know, part, partly infamous for being on the receiving end of that Wade Dooley uh, punch. Um, God, if you watch that back, that game, it's just uh, not very pretty, 1987. It, 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 um, yeah, it's, do you know what, it is one actually that I, before all this lockdown stuff started, I went through a trawl of, you know, a bit of a, a wormhole of YouTube old rugby games. And that's one I stuck on because I don't. I was too young to remember the game yeah. at the time, and even 15 minutes of it, you get a sense of the brutality. And that's on the TV with Bill McLaren's dulcet tones over the top of it. You can only imagine what it's like to, to be in the midst of that. That was an ugly, ugly game. Yeah, it was just didn't seem to be. There seemed to be again. It seemed to be a sense of chaos to the whole thing, where just everybody was hitting everybody, and there's just no sense that there's any self-discipline going on. And obviously, Dooley got well. The, the RFU banned several several of their own players afterwards um I, I you can't you can't not mention mark jones uh you know as a you know as an eight he was you know 15 caps and played obviously played league for britain as well you know his massive unit tremendous um just horrible scary bloke really um I, I wouldn't pick him though, because I I think I stop just short of people talk about. Somebody said to me, "Oh, you got to pick Richard Moriarty," and I was just think, I want hard people. I don't want psychopaths. <laughs> There's like I could pick a psychopath eight, and then everybody would get sent off. And and I just think Mark Mark Jones was just bordering on that. Just didn't quite know where the the line was sometimes you just used to look at him and just think why are you so angry about everything even you even if you do an image search for him some of the images of him his pen pics you just go i mean if i was taking that photograph of you know for the welsh for the program or something i I, i'd be shaking when i was taking the photograph so i've i've gone for um Derek Quinnell, which is a which is a fairly safe bet on, um, you know, he he toured the Lions, you know, before he was capped, he he did have twenty three caps, three Lions tours, um, and obviously, you know, is a bit of a sort of minor legend in his own right, and was a fantastic player for a for such a big man, had good hands, um, but. Um, I just I I think I've done it because I want to tell a story about I once I went to uh, I went to Rupert Moon's wedding and um, and the and we we the service was in uh, Bethai or Beva as people call it um, the service was in a ch- uh, in a church in um, Bethai and then everybody got on the bus to go to the Vale of Glamorgan to have the to have the, the the kind of um reception and um all the quinells got on and they sat all sat on one side of the bus like all the quinells um and it started listing to one side 
So the the bus driver asked the the Quinells if they could spread out to to the, but to even themselves out to both sides of the bus. So they, just in case, because it's a bit of a treacherous drive from the top down down the hill. So it's quite funny actually, just thinking about the Quinells as sort of weight distribution was an issue and um because they were you know all of them were on the bus and they had to be separated and put on separate sides just to even themselves out because they were just you know they're just huge i like to i like to think as well that as um as the bus doors have opened, the Derek Cornell is pushing people out of the way to, to make an entrance onto the bus the same way he made his entrance into international rugby. That's, yeah. a, a, that's how I like to imagine that, but that's a, that's a pretty funny image in itself. Uh, yeah. Right, Justin, that is, a, that is a pretty fearsome pack, it is, uh, it is safe to say. And we're going to find out who, uh, who will be playing alongside them in the backs. Not that I think it matters, to be honest, but we'll be deciding, uh, or you'll be telling us who, rather, who will be in the backs uh, after this very quick break. Hi, I'm Harry Keddy, and you're listening to the Attack and Scrum podcast. Right, time now to look at the backs, Justin. Uh, an astonishing pack with an amazing set of nicknames. Uh, so amazing that men with nicknames like Carcass and Tulip couldn't get in there. Um, but let's move, let's move on to the backs and let's start with your uh, with your scrum half. So you'd go, you know, if you were going along the hardness route, you'd you'd pick Die Bishop, wouldn't you? Because you'd just go, okay, that's gonna. But we've got to we've got to change. Tactic. If I was picking, if I was picking mine again. I would pick Di Bishop, a man who I don't remember playing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, he might be the most interesting person I've ever met. And you know that that was just, that was just a nuts morning. Where fortunately I did the interview with Steely first because he put me completely at ease and I felt great. And then we did the one with Di Bishop, and it's you know I, I think the first line I said was it's hard to know where to begin, and he just went for an hour, <laughs> including a break for the fire alarm. And he came back and said, uh, "and said, oh, I'll get the blame for that. Now you know what it's like to to be with Di Bishop. It was it was just astonishing. And then again, the folklore of hearing people talk about how gifted a player he was. Um, if I was if I was doing this again, I would put Di Bishop at nine in my team. Yeah. Well, it, 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 can you imagine how much Di Bishop would relish a bunch of white-shirted, white-shorted boys from city, city slickers coming to play on his patch?" Just imagine, he just absolutely taught taught them a lesson time and time again. He was such a good player. He's an amazing player. And his his tactical kicking as much as anything, he would kick you to death. He would he he was just incredibly he was just yeah, if he wasn't doing that, then he was giving you a back row an absolute mm. nightmare. Yeah, he was a tremendous player. Um I loved um a player who played for Aberavon and uh, I love, you know, again, if we're going back into uh, Richard Collins territory on the, but Clive Shell had a, actually had more of a, like a comb over really. It was very much of the Bobby, much of a, he was like a, a miniature Charlton sort of, uh, but he played forever for, um, and only had one cap for Wales as well. So there's two, you know, two players there um, with two caps between them. But my, uh, again, one of my favourite players, uh, and I think a player who was 
vastly underrated for and just but wrong time, wrong place um, was Bryn Mawr Williams. Um, mm. He was just I, I as a as a rubbish rugby player, right? A back row forward, uh, just hopeless, no pace, no nothing, no guts, no strength. No, uh, that was me. But I, but that's because I I can blame Bryn Mawr for it because I was too busy practicing. The most perfect reverse. If you think Gareth Edwards used to throw, I think there are a couple of instances of Gareth Edwards throwing a reverse mm. pass and every gasping. Brynmar did that like normally. It was like nobody had to do distribution like Brynmar. He was incredible. He was just such a beautiful rugby player to watch. It really was slick and brilliant. And um, you know he's sandwiched by Terry Holmes and Gareth yeah. Edwards. It was just, it was just really, really tough. But God, he was, he was so gifted. And am I right in thinking this that he had more caps or more appearances for the Lions than he did in a Wales jersey? Well, he was three. He equaled three caps for oh, Wales. Three, three, three. three. God. three for three, three for the Lions in '77 in New Zealand. Yeah, and he was. Honestly, it, 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 he there was a guy called Hugh Davis Spider who played nine for Swansea, and he he he'd been a valiant servant for Swansea for years. And um, but Brynmar came and um, was just took it up a notch anyway. But I mean, he played obviously played for Newport, played for Cardiff, um, just so polished, such a such a gifted rugby player. So. That sort of suddenly elevates the backs into rather than have another scrapper and a fighter, um, you've got somebody who's just going to their their service is going to be just just you know on a plate for the ten every single time, no questions asked. That is a, that's a, yeah, that's an, an excellent choice, and um, I'm sure still the, the proud owner bring more of the the original stat pad from Scrum Five. Uh, I like to think it's tucked it's tucked away in his garage, and uh, you know. BBC Wales have been knocking on the door saying, Brimble, we need it back. So I don't know what you're talking about. It's just there. It's a couple of old bikes with a, uh, with a, you know, with a dust sheet over it. Right. I'm, I'm told he's very entertaining. I blue in as, as, as our parents always say, he's yeah. a bit blue in his after dinner speaking. So I've, I've never managed to catch any of those, but um, yeah, I'm sure he's very entertaining. Yeah, again, we had it on good authority uh, that he was um, he was very good on tour in in all aspects. So yeah, yeah another another good choice. Um, right, outside half. Okay, so you know the the obvious choice, uh, you know, although again, uh, just in terms of era, would be you could you could pick Jiffy Jonathan Davis um, if you wanted to, but um, and there's nobody that can deny that. You know, he's an incredible player in in union and league. Really, just such a gifted player. Um, uh, then I had a real soft spot for Paul Turner, who mm. um, you know the only Newbridge back ever capped for Wales. Which just seems like God. That's never going to change, is it? That's that's no, it. Then. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, you'd imagine not. Three caps, only Newbridge back ever cap for Wales. And I used to really love going to Newbridge. And there's another player that I'm very fond of. I'll talk about in a bit. Um, but my 10 is, it's, if you think he's, he is the, he's the forefather of Matthew Morgan, right? 
you you would have loved this player beyond belief jed <laughs> i cannot i cannot recommend him highly enough and it it is a crime that um he scored a brilliant so yeah I, he played at center outside center for wales and he played at outside center for um for the british lions but he was and will always be my favorite number 10 of all time and he he was he was sent out to 13 um really partly by club and partly by country but david richards die richards as he was we knew him um 17 caps for wales only played once for the lions um in the test um and he didn't he only did he only had one i think gareth davis got injured and he played one uh, so he played it like you know he, he he went to outside half to save the team and scored a brilliant try against Scotland, um, but that's the only time he ever played. And I he it, he was just the business at ten. He was just so so gifted, um, and even better, he couldn't kick for toffee. He was if you were in your twenty two and the ball was. Or twenty five as it would have been then, and you were you'd you were defender, you know you were it was your line out, and you were you know Bryn Mawr would you know would send a massive pass out to Di Richards, and Di would barely be able to reach the touchline. It was he was such a crap kicker compared to you know Gareth Davis, who was a phenomenal kicker, um, and so. And I used to argue and argue that he was the best 10 in Wales and I wouldn't listen to anybody's counter arguments. And he was just definitely, so he was the, he was the definition of a running 10, but that was because he really didn't have the legs to actually, he didn't kick from, he didn't kick any penalties or he couldn't kick from his hands, but what a running player. He was amazing. Absolutely brilliant player. Um, and it, you can see you can see glimpses of it for Wales when he played at thirteen. He's always looking to go at ten. You can see that some if you watch some of the games from then, it's almost like get out of the way. I want to I want to be first receiver. Um, but he was a really uh, just he was he was a brilliant brilliant player. Well, uh, you know you you know the kind of tens I like and. Um... Yeah, I only, I only wish I'd been around to uh, to have seen Di Richards in his uh, in his prime. Uh, another excellent choice. Um, you want to go centres or do you want to go wings now? If we're going, I'm going to go number wise. You know. Yeah, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go 11, 11. 12. Yeah, eleven. Um, so uh, a hat tip to um, Clive Reese, who mm-hmm. looked again looked like somebody who'd been. Um, taken from a, the, a uh, possibly a spaghetti western um he playing a mexican bandit uh tiny like tiny like you could fit him in your pocket he was less than he was 11 stone um re- rapid played for uh, london welsh uh played you know it, it took him nine years to get his 13 caps went again went on a lot on that lions tour where they were undefeated in 1974 uh really 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 sharp player um uh i also uh i loved uh, again going back to this, the swansea bias thing uh arthur emir or arthur as everybody called him um 
Welsh Player of the Year, 1990. Uh, check this out. 154 tries in 209 appearances. That's Swansea. absurd, isn't it? That's that's up. That's we're talking, you know, Messi style sort of. Uh, you know, that's just that's a result, isn't it? He's amazing. He did. He also looked confused at times. He he wore his emotions. You know, he didn't look like he was in control of his faculties a lot of the time. But he was he he, he looked. He was one of those players that it just looked really honest. He was like, "Oh my god, oh my god, he's running at me! Oh, I've tackled him," you know, it, or. Oh no, I've got to run really fast now. And he he always looked slightly concerned and worried. He's like quite an entertaining player to watch. It wasn't like watching somebody who was like Gerald Davis just looked completely in command of every situation, looked never looked ruffled or rattled. He just looked side step, side step, da da da, da da da. Whereas Arthur made it look quite difficult. Um but you know, 13 caps of Wales. But this is going further back than my time in a way. But uh, I always just, I always had this kind of, again, from TV and stuff, um, had this just love for John Bevan, uh, just because just used to run through people. It seemed like he was a kind of proto low low move style figure who just did, no, 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 I won't be running around you. I'll just be running over you. And, you know, obviously 14 appearances in, on that 70, 71 tour of New Zealand. Can you imagine playing <laughs> 14 nuts, times? It? <laughs> it's like, how many games? It's like, okay, uh, only 10 caps for Wales. So it's like, played 10 times for Wales and played 14 times on that tour. That's madness. I'm and so he was, he was just, he was just, he only knew one way and it was like I'm going to run straight and I'm going to run through you and he did it if you look at look at those tries from 71 he just seemed to be able to do it with an alarming regularity so I just he's not um yeah he's not quite in keeping with my dainty footed kind of um you know the people around him but I just think he was really just just brutally effective and he, he went and played league as well didn't he yeah, six yeah. caps for Great Britain. Yeah, in league. So yeah, he's done. Yeah, he did. He did. You know, he's he was definitely. Uh, you can imagine that he would have been brilliant at that. Uh, I, I feel like your side is so fiercely amateur that I should stop league players from playing in it. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? I yeah, like absolutely. It, like, but um, but that that's not the way this works. So uh, so yeah, you'll be forgiven. John Bevan takes the. Uh, takes the uh, the left wing berth yeah um into the centers into the centers so i've gone there's two here that um that are very different nature uh arthur lewis who played for rebel vale right from kremlin like quintessential crash ball center ruined ruined the swansea sort of poise and elegance all the time he just i've never seen a team <laughs> It was like it made it it made Scott Gibbs look like he only got the ball twice a game, you know that kind of. Or Jamie Roberts. It's like oh, he made he made them look underused. Ebervale had one tactic. It's like give it to Arthur. Arthur runs straight, hits your centre, knocks him out, and then does it again. Um, Eleven caps, which is quite a surprise, really, and. Um, 
toured toured on that Lions seventy one Lions tour, but didn't didn't get a test game. Um, but just yeah, he you know that kind of oh here we go. I mean, it made here we go with a predictable game plan look. It just. It, 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 that's all they had and he was just so hard, hard working he would do that for the full 80 minutes just Arthur Lewis crash ball Arthur Lewis crash ball Arthur Lewis crash ball and he was he was really really strong really hard to pin down and this was a, I only saw him towards the end of his career really in the late in the late 70s so um, and he was still doing he you know he wouldn't have slept at night. He would have just been running into running into his whole, you know, into his bedroom wall for most of it. I don't think he had any other way of operating really. So, so is they, it not Lewis against them or not? No, it's not. No. It's gonna it's gonna be I'm gonna go full uh full ten I I like the ten, twelve, the 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 sort of second five eight type mm-hmm. of thing. So Mark Ring yeah, I, I did wonder actually if we're talking about folklore again. I, you know, I don't, I don't remember watching Mark Ring play much, but I remember my brother telling stories of him uh, back healing conversions and um, run, like running one on one with a player and using his knee to kick the ball over his head and things like that. And again, yeah. I, you know, I've never been able to see any footage of those things, but I love to think they're true. Yeah, he was. He just. I I have got so much admiration for uh for Gavin Hansen for that season when he played mm-hmm. at when he played at 12 and he showed a, a new a discipline that was just you know beyond what people expected or what people thought he was capable of um uh, but he had the same you know ring had every bit every but he uh, more of a showman and more of a sense of humor obviously Gav you know didn't smile very much and um but ring yeah he was just you know he, can you imagine again playing for Pontypool with with a with the ball on a plate really mm. he was just he was just really really it wasn't just that he was a showman he also just really knew how to bury you you know he he played pragmatic rugby i don't think you know, Ray Prosser wouldn't have been really all that delighted with any fancy Dan nonsense from 10 when he played at 10. Uh, so he played, he could play, he could play just winning rugby. Mm. Uh, he knew how to kick for the corners, but he had everything, just had everything. But he was, he's just the ideal player to have in at 12 because he just makes makes everything tick outside him, really. Yeah, I like the thought of, of them being kind of coached in a bit more of a modern way and getting Mark Ring's thoughts on, you know, trying to play a more prescribed brand of rugby. But I don't think you'll be bringing that as a coach. No, absolutely not. Yeah, it's um, so you got I mean, him and Di, him and Di Richards would have been they wouldn't have even had to worry too much. They would have been on the same wavelength. I remember seeing uh, I remember seeing weirdly Maradona and Hoddle playing for Tottenham in a in a um, yeah together or something, yeah it? for danny thomas and everybody else was running in the wrong direction they were practically running into running running into touch doing you know people and and those two just knew where they were they just knew how, where they were going to be and they could pl- find each other and i just think those kind of connections 
they're just that because those players are just play on a on a higher level really, and I think Dyrich's markering would have been perfect. What about outside centre? Okay, um, I I'm going to go with um, I I had a fondness of David Bircher, um and. I know that Roy Berger. I just like I like the idea of like putting as many. Uh, Roy Berger played at twelve with Sanessi because Grav was playing. Um, but um, I, I'm picking John Devere from Bridgend because he a he's got the stupidest. If we're talking nicknames, it's the stupidest nickname of all. Dalek. Cause I did not know that. He was named Dalek because his ha- his because of his fearsome handoff. Now, if I remember Doctor Who, right? I don't remember like the Daleks striking fear into the hearts of people because of their fear- fearsome handoffs. You know, they I, just. I, I suppose that thing or whatever it is at the front. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a big sci-fi fan, but that's you know that is that's um you know I suppose it looks like a like a straight arm, doesn't it? I guess it that, does. That's all it I does, think of. It doesn't look fearsome though does it it's the it's it's anyway so that was his name because he inherited that name after a trial game and he um so you know 20 caps uh again went to rugby league um, I, I remember him playing league. I, I mean, Saturday afternoons for me as a kid was watching a lot of rugby league because there were so many Welsh players playing. Yeah. And, um, and I remember I remember John Devereux playing. Um, uh, yeah, he played for Great Britain as well, didn't he, I think? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. Ten, he played 10 times. So he's one yeah. of the, out of this cool, side, he's probably the most decorated um, player in league, really. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, it, it was it was just a really interesting, strange time because you know there was such a talent drain uh, that went from from Wales to to the north. Um, but it did make it did make watching watching rugby league you know that bit more interesting because there there were all these players who you know you knew had played for played union for Wales. Yeah, and he was you know he got his he was still a student. He was a you know when he got his first cap so. You know, he, he was he was he was just he's just a really good player and knew the outside break and he had the hand he had the handoff to make sure that he could get outside players. So um, yeah, he's 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 the kind of guy with given a bit of open space. He was muscular, strong enough, but also quick enough, particularly in early on in his career to get to get round players. He's um, yeah, I think his his autobiography is is in the offing, and good friend of the podcast Craig Muncy, I think, is involved in that. So we're hoping to get John Devereux on at some point um, to either talk about his autobiography or better still, I'd love to get him to pick one of these as well and pick his side. Yeah, um, and he he scored. I mean, he, he did score eight. You know, there weren't many plus points in the uh, semi final of eighty seven, were there? But against New Zealand, but he was the, at least he got a try. So. Um, yeah, Devereux and Ring—a nice mixture of um, yeah, power, pace, and yeah, out and out skill in there, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Okay, onto the right wing. So, right wing. Um, so, uh, Elgan Rees was a, a thorn in our side. Uh, at Swansea's brilliant, brilliant player for Neath and uh, toured Lions in '77, 13 caps, six tries. Um, 
one of my favorite players who didn't go on to any kind of representative honors at all was a guy called Chris Kipper was his nickname, Phillips. I don't know why, because we never asked. But again, every time he played against, um, uh, every time he played against Swansea, he was just an absolute live wire against. Um, so yeah, Chris uh, Kipper Phillips from Newbridge, that is. Um, but I'm picking the only Englishman in my team. And again, from Swansea, who's uh, from Preston, uh, Tony Swift. He brought a a newfound glamour to uh, to St. Helens. And it, he was the one who, if anybody was going to get mocked and, you know, again, let's go back to Pontypool on a, on a rain-soaked Wednesday uh, with Swansea running out in their all-white kit and then Tony Swift coming out last looking a bit kind of cold, really, and, and d- disinterested. He didn't look particularly happy at any given point. But he was a so he was rapid, um, but an Englishman playing for Swans. You know, it was just it was on a hiding to nothing. He used to get so much stick off the opposition um, and opposition fans. And I used to go to the game with uh, uh, three mates from school: Anne Williams, Beth and Baber, and Sylvia Arrowsmith. And they loved Tony Swift beyond belief. I think they if it. He was the Beckham of their lives, really, basically. And uh, he was a really good player. He only played six times for England. It, I, when he played, I remember him playing in at Cardiff, and he almost looked guilty, like he had a hangdog expression as if he realised, I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be doing this, this is wrong somehow, I shouldn't be doing this. He didn't look particularly happy, and they played him at 11 instead of 14. You know, the classic kit thing of, you know, why why would you pick an international in his, in their preferred position? Why do they do that, international coaches? Yeah, let's put him on the other wing. It'd be fine. Um, so anyway, so Tony Swift was a brilliant, brilliant player. And, and the went one, on to be, yeah, the, yeah, the, the one um, import, I guess, into this team. Yeah, because he was... I mean, like like I said, he drew so much opposition mocking, uh, you know, Swift by name, Swift by nature, and all that kind of stuff. But they were they used to it, it was just brutal when you're playing, you know, playing Ebervale away, you know, and the, the, we've got a bloke called Tony Swift on the wing. He just used to get so much stick. You can imagine, just he was probably. I don't. I don't know why he just didn't play inside centre instead because he just got. He just got done all the time. Just every every game, he just got mocked and mocked, and he'd go on and score three tries. He was absolutely brilliant, and then he'd it'd be nobody cared. They just took the piss at the Englishman, basically. What about fullback then? Okay, um, Paul Thorburn has a, you know has a. a, a you know, has to you have to give him a nod uh, uh, as uh, you know, f- uh, tremendous international 37 caps. Uh, I really I loved Gwyn Evans and I always wished he was a Swansea player. Gwyn Evans played for Mice Tig, went on uh, the Lions tour of New Zealand in '83, 12 caps. Um, we had two full backs in. Swansea, one called Roger Blythe, who ran lines like Lee Byrne, but um, literally couldn't catch, couldn't catch anything. 
and Mark Wyatt, who could catch anything that didn't have any pace. He couldn't even keep up with the backs. So it was, uh, so we never, I can't honestly say the two combination of those two people would have been okay. But um, I've gone for Clive Griffiths because he's the ultimate representation of this era, I think. Again, another player who went, uh, who won cap before going up north. Um, and uh, I remember that game against England in 1979 where he just uh, chipped forward and El Gunnery scored. And I just thought this was the dawning of a glorious, glorious new era. <laughs> and then he just went up straight away it is it is the yeah. ultimate yes in pick in a way because it's it's tinged with sadness and yeah absolutely never, you never got you, you know you never got the opportunity the, the thing is with those kind of like those one cap games you know whether it's a, a player's career cut short with injury or going north or whatever but you kind of you never got that period of um of mediocrity where they were out of form you know it's just that romanticized version it's the girl at school you fancy when she was you know when you when you're 16 years old it's that same image in your head um and in a way i think that that's that that makes it the ultimate pick yeah he was it was that that crystallizes the era i suppose and i it's only talking to you now that you just realize i've got before going up north before going up north before going up north you just realize just what a huge drain it was but he was he was a really really promising looking player and that was one of those games I looked back I, I sort of looked back at the highlights recently and it looked tighter than it, it it was tighter than it than I remember it I just remember us really strolling that game and feeling really comfortable and thinking that we were gonna just we were gonna just be brilliant again <laughs> I wasn't quite right, was I, Jed? Not quite. It, uh, yeah, it, it, it took some time. Um, well, I mean, let, let's let's just quickly recap on this side before I get you to uh, to finish up with the, uh, the the last couple of questions. Um, we've got Brian Williams, uh, Mike Spikey Watkins, Byron Mugford, uh, David Muddy Waters, Jeff Wheel, Clive Burgess, Richie Collins, Derek Quinnell in the pack. Brynmore Williams, Di Richards, John Bevan, Mark Ring, John Devereux, Tony Swift, and Clive Griffiths. Sound, sound, yeah. sound, as, sound as good when it's read out as uh, as it did when you picked it? Yeah, it does. It's, I'm very happy. I mean, there are players like Ray Gravel and there's you know various players that I would have been there but they would they they'll have the, they've had their moments in in the in the spotlight and I'm just quite happy to give this lot some props fantastic well look, to finish up you get to choose the the stadium or the the ground rather where um where this fictional game would take place you get to pick the opposition and you get to pick the kit that your side will wear i'm going to make a purposeful uh uh, uh side at strategy during that era right they 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 used to grow the grass. It was like more suitable for like putting cows out to pasture. I'm sure they grew the grass extra inches because the the surface at St Helens was just like bare, a billiards table, bare ground with sand. So, oh, um, it, because it was just on the beach practically. Whereas, yeah. and they 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 just used to feel like it was about four inches tall whenever we played Sinesi away. Um, so it would have to be. Um, either the Talbot Athletic Ground in Aberavon, which is the other ground that used to used to just be feel like kind of firm underfoot, 
and uh, and we always used to play quite well there. Played semi-finals of the cup and things like that on neutral territory. So uh, I will go for um, I, I, just for the sake of uh, sake of some sort of balance. Uh, Talbot Athletic Ground in Aberavon. Talbot Athletic Ground it is, uh, and the opposition. Um, Right, because you've got a lot of players here. You've got a lot of players in here who you, you know you've said broke your heart on numerous occasions. So it, it's going to be interesting to see which side you want to put them out to, to kind of get you know get your own back almost. Well, the thing is that I, I'll be really honest. I I kind of enjoyed that because you could imagine me, Jed. I would have enjoyed suffering that because I felt guilty about being a middle class boy from Swansea as it was. So you know I deserved everything I got. I felt. Um, so what, but what I did like was when, uh, the English used to come and play and we used to, and they used to just come down thinking they were all that. And, um, so you used to get Leicester and the Harlequins, you know, and Harlequins coming down thinking they were far, far superior teams or they acted as if they thought, or we thought they thought, you know what I mean? It's just our inverse snobbery, bloody paranoid, classic Welsh paranoia. Um, and they were always, you know, and we'd send them pack in with no great difficulty. But the the one game that was the one that you look forward to more than any was the Barbarians game over the mm. Easter weekend. So it's the Barbars on Easter weekend. That's the that's the game. I'd love to, I'd love to see who they uh, and and we're actually recording this on Easter weekend as well. So there we go, even better. Um, right, and then the the one final thing that remains. Oh, actually, I've got to ask you who captains decide as well, actually. Oh, good question. Um, right. I think it's just, it's got to be uh, Wheelow, Jeff Wheel. Yeah, Jeff Wheel captain. Jeff Wheel, skip of the side. Um, and is there any consideration for any other kit than a 1980s yeah, there is. all white? There is. There is. Okay. There is. Yeah. No, I've got, I, I've got, I've also got coaches. So coaches, I got, um, uh, Karen James is the head coach because weirdly Karen James used to come to our house for Sunday lunch and I used to bore on like I'm boring on now can you imagine to Karen James about how like Di Richards should be playing number 10 and not Gareth Davis for Wales I mean the poor bloke must have just been <laughs> kill me now you know and then when it wasn't Gareth da- when it wasn't Di Richards anymore it's like Malcolm Dacey's miles better than Gareth Davis it's like shut up it's, nobody ever told me to shut up so I, I just, I need to kind of pay my respects to Carwin for the fact that he had to listen to this. Yeah, one he entertained it. Plan. Yeah, and then, but, but you've got to get Ray Prosser to coach yeah. the forwards. I, I, I can only think of how terrifying that pack would be when coached by Ray Prosser. The only thing that could make it more terrifying is if Ray Prosser was the coach. Yeah, and so those two, there's just, uh, I've got a soft spot for Stan Adcott who made Swansea RFC the best team in, in Britain at the time, but... But Carwin and Ray Prosser, what a what a com- combination they would be. Um, but the the kit, yeah, weirdly. So I worked for I work with a company, a bunch of friends who we've been we've done loads of kind of different interesting work uh, over the years. And one of the things that bizarrely we ended up doing was um, designing the 2017 uh, 2018 kit um, for Wales. So uh, the one and it's we we did it on the principle that like they we wanted to make a really big deal out of um the um like the 
the the sort of plasticky rubber mm. bits on the front were representative of like the birthplace of Neath, the birthplace of the WRU, and then certain important places in Wales. So we'd thought quite deeply about it and designed the kit anyway. So that's the kit that they would wear, and it was nominated like for a design museum award. And so this this was the seventeen eighteen kit. Yeah. So that, but um, my big thing is I've always loved, you know, I've always loved the black shorts with the red shirt. Yeah. I'm almost alone in that. I've never, everyone else just looks at me in a funny way. Yeah, I like red and white. Yeah, I know. And I've heard you say before, it's it's the classic. And I'm not denying it. You know, I'm not saying I'm right, but... I just always like, I just really, really think the black and red thing is really strong. So that was, you know, one of the things we loved about that shirt was there was black in it. Um, and then I'd put, I'd, I'd stick the black shorts. So that's right. that. Well, it's, it's your team. You, you go for it. Right. Yes, yeah. it is. It has been a, a, an absolute pleasure and every bit as, uh, as romantic and almost could have been, um, could have been scripted by Ken Loach, I think, with some of those stories. Um, but yeah, I've loved, I've loved every minute of it. And thanks again for uh, for taking the time to, to chat us through your Dream 15. Thanks, Jed. Podcast Network.